Please turn with me uh, this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we'll get there in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 4. We've been doing a series, Pastor Todd and I have been doing a series the last few weeks uh, on the subject of the church. And uh, really there's a subtitle, uh, and that is uh, The Church and Our Church. And we're looking at what God designed, which is where His Word comes in. But then we're also talking about, and we're going to do that again today, about where I fit, where you fit in the church. Um, I have... um, I have told you about my family quite often. I mean, my family growing up and all of that. Uh, I, have, I have two brothers, and I'm, I'm in the middle. And my older brother, ever since he was real little, knew that God had called him to be a pastor. And uh, he has now just recently retired from the pastorate. And uh, they live in Lakeland, Florida, my brother and his wife. And... Uh, uh, he is still involved in a ministry. In fact, he, my brother Norm is involved in a ministry uh, in Lakeland to homeless people and is still using his pastoral gifts. But uh, he was in the pastorate for a long, long time. And uh, so anyway, I, I was the middle brother. And, and I remember it was often Sunday afternoons. And I, growing up, I was not that guy that ever thought that I was going to end up in the uh, uh, in local church ministry or whatever I wanted to be ever since I was young. I wanted to be a, a writer and do some things like that, although I loved the Lord and was actively serving the Lord. But my brother wanted to be a pastor. So it was often Sunday afternoons that my brother would go around the house. And I mentioned I have a younger brother as well. But my older brother would go around the house and collect all of my Basically, at that stage of our lives, my younger brother's uh, stuffed animals. And we had a house where we grew up in Montrose and Susquehanna County, where we grew up, that uh, was this big old house, my grandmother's, my grandmother on my mom's side, and then her mom lived with us. And so this big old house that we had actually had an extra living room, which was kind of like a parlor in those days. And it had the nice furniture, which meant that my brothers and I weren't allowed to go in there and watch TV or play games or whatever. But my brother on Sunday afternoon would go, my older brother on Sunday afternoon, would go around the house and collect my little brother's stuffed animals and would go into this parlor room and put a stuffed animal in every chair. And so they were just spread around this living room or this parlor room, this front room that we had. And my brother would play church with the stuffed animals. And uh, he would uh, lead them in singing. Well, you know what I mean. And then he would preach. And then I I often wondered what he did about the offering. But uh, he would play church. My point about telling you the story is that, folks, God never intended us to play church. Church is real, church is God's idea, church is serious, and church is meant to be what God is doing in the world today. The Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew said, I will build my church. And it's so important, it's so serious, it's so strong that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're talking about God's church, and today I want to just talk with you a little bit about how church how to do church. And we're going to use the scriptures 
And uh, I'm going to talk with you about why we're doing that, of course. But if you look around, I mentioned this two weeks ago when I spoke before. One of the things that I'm really, really glad in the Scriptures, that's, that's true because it applies today, and that is in the Scriptures, there's no cookie-cutter churches. And I'm really thankful for that. The church in Jerusalem did not act like the church in, in, uh, in, in Ephesus or in church in Corinth or the church in Antioch, which was the second church. And then by the time you go all the way through the New Testament, by the time you get to Revelation, where the Apostle John saw the vision from God and he talked about the churches in Revelation, all of those churches were real individual cities and they all had strengths, they all had weaknesses that John talked about in the book of the Revelation. And so even then, there were not these cookie-cutter, everybody looks alike, everything op operates alike. But what I want to talk with you about this morning is what did they do? How did they do church? And so we're going to use Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Verses 11 through 16 as a springboard to talk a little bit more. And then if you have your notes in the orange bulletin today, there's actually a series of boxes that I've showed you that chart before. We're going to work our way through that quickly and then talk about some overriding principles at the end. And uh, that's what we're going to do for our message this morning. But listen, as I, as I read, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read out loud uh, verses 11 down through verse 16. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 16 and I know it's small print, but the text is behind me on the uh, slide as well. Verse 11, Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, or mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom, verse 16, the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's our passage. Let me just pray, and we'll ask God's blessing upon our Bible study this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. And as this uh, passage, as I mentioned, is a springboard, if you will, to other places in Scripture that we're going to look at. Father, I just pray that you would use your word in our hearts and our lives, and the point of this series of message, and especially today, is that we think about how church and how the early church operated, that you would, that you would work in our hearts and our lives. And if nothing else, God, I just pray that you would help us to see how important your work is in the world today and what you're doing, and how it's different than anything else, the church. And God, I just pray that as individuals, as families, as people that are followers of you, that we would build that as a priority into our lives, for your honor, for your glory, for eternity's sake. Father, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as we get started, I'm going to talk with you about two things. And you have a, in the bulletin there, that orange sheet of paper, you have a uh, 
a chart of 12 things that, yes, we're going to go through all of those quickly. And then there's five overriding principles at the end. But I want to just give you a statement that I made up as kind of a paraphrase of all of that passage in Ephesians 4 that I just read. And here it is. God intended His church, God intended His church to be a community of believers who are growing toward maturity in Christ, who are actively serving Him, and who are demonstrating Christ's love to unbelievers. God intended His church to be a community of believers who are growing toward maturity in Christ and who are actively serving Him and who are demonstrating Christ's love to unbelievers. Folks, in, in, friends, in, in other words, we could say this. Wyoming Valley Church is intended to be a community of believers that are growing in maturity in Christ. And all of us, all of us are about that. Ephesians 4 is very, very clear about that. That we're growing closer to, be, to, to Christ-likeness. We're growing. It's a lifelong process, a maturity in Christ. We're actively serving Him. I love that about the church. No matter how you're wired, no matter how you're gifted, no matter how what your personality is, God wants all of us to be actively involved in our church. And, and that is not necessarily a program. I think 20th century, 21st century America has kind of got locked in. And that is we need a title, we need a position, we need a program. And I think God would just say, serve, get involved in the lives of other people. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Actively serving Him. And then who are demonstrating Christ's love to unbelievers. That, folks, is amazing to me. That God uses the love that we have for each other, the agape love of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be what ought to be, what is attractive to an unsaved world. And so that's the focus, if you will, this little quote that I put there in your, uh, in your notes and yeah, if we could just maybe put Wyoming Valley Church there, it would help us to see how, how that's a priority in our lives as well. So here's, here's my chart. As I look through the scriptures, and I have worked um, really, really hard on this chart, and, and yet in saying that, one of the things that I wanted to emphasize this morning is that if, if you were making this chart, I'm not sure that you would say the same 12 things as me. And then I am not totally confident that I haven't left anything else because anything out because this is my chart. But as you look through, especially the epistles, Acts, and then the epistles in Scripture, it seems as if there are twelve things that the early church met to do. And and I'm going to just work down through this with you. I showed this chart to you a couple of weeks ago, but let's just highlight some things. And I understand, and I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute, that that's why I gave you the chart, and I put it in chart format, and I made I put the verses that are there so that you could do some study later on in your own. I, I certainly understand, that, and I'm not going to, going to even pretend to think that you'll remember all 12 things. There will not be a quiz when I'm done. There's not going to be a quiz next week, just like I'm not going to have you bring your piece to the puzzle back and and put it back together or whatever. But uh, there are 12 things that seem to me, if you talk about the idea of how to do church, that these 12 things are things that the early church did. So by the magic of Microsoft PowerPoint, let me, let me just work through these with you this morning. 12 things. Number one, when Christ was getting ready to ascend back into heaven after his 
death on the cross after the resurrection, he gathered his followers and he gave them what we call the Great Commission. And I know you know this. And basically in Matthew 28, verse 19, he said this. But as you go, go and make disciples. And I know you know this. We've talked about it before. The imperative of Christ's great commission was to make disciples. And so that's where we start today. And that is, that was so important of the, uh, for the early church, was to make disciples. And that was Christ's last command to his followers is, is as you go, that was assumed. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But that you're here to make disciples. You can study this on your own. But there's basically two things in Scripture. When the Bible talks about the idea of discipleship, there's basically two different emphasis. One was a method of learning, by the way. In other words, Christ said to Peter and Andrew and James and John and then ultimately all the others, follow me. That was discipleship. They learned from him. They learned how to do ministry from Christ. There is also a discipleship aspect in Scripture that means anyone who followed Christ. And I think in that sense, that's where we come into play centuries later. And that is the mission of the church, the purpose of the church, is for us to develop uh, disciples, followers of Christ. And we can do that as we go through our life. That's the imperative here. One of the things that I want to highlight about God's great commission verses in fact, if you were to look up in the Gospels, that you were to see that Christ said, I want you to, as you go, make disciples. And then basically he said, as you go everywhere to everybody for all time until the Lord comes back, until Christ comes back, that is a big deal. Everywhere for all time. Uh, to everybody. That, that is a big deal. Have your Bible. So I'm going to jump around a couple places this morning, and I know you know this, but turn with me to Acts 1.8. That idea of everywhere to everybody for all time is clearly outlined for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, part of this great commission Lord says, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then it says this, you shall be witnesses, not you need to go out witnessing. You shall be witnesses. And then he outlines how that would work. And don't forget that these people are gathered in Jerusalem and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the church to begin. And then he gives them this outline. And he says, uh, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then ultimately even to the end of the earth. And, and, and I think they got it, folks. Jerusalem was where they lived. And God intended the church to make disciples where they are. That was where they started and that was their hometown. Judea, Judea was the area around about Jerusalem. Samaria was interesting. I mean, it, in one sense, it was around about Jerusalem. But in Scripture, and, and, and you'll remember some of the stories. Remember some of the stories in Scripture about Samaritans? Right? You got your thinking caps on? What were they? What are the famous ones in the Bible? The 
Good Samaritan. What's the story? Right? Jews went on by. And the Samaritan, who was a cross-cultural neighbor, is the one that helped. What, what's the other one? The Samaritan woman at the well. Right? That's another famous or familiar story in Scripture. And, at Christ, and, and Christ said to his disciples, I must, I must go through Samaria because in that culture there was such a prejudice that the Jews would walk all the way around Samaria. Here, here's the point. In those days, Samaria was the closest cross-cultural neighbor. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Uh, God has used this to kind of beat me up a little bit. I think today, centuries later, we tend to ignore our closest cross-cultural neighbor too. We tend to ignore those people that may be right in our area, but for whatever reason are a different culture than us. And then he goes on to say, in the ends of the earth. In other words, I think here's the point of all of that, and I'm not going to take this much time with all 12 of those things, but to get us started, I think here's the point. Our world can become pretty small unless we're intentional. And I think God, by his um, wisdom and uh, by his great plan, designed his church to spread out. Now, in Acts, sometime if you would read the narrative of Acts, you'll realize that God did that through persecution, that there was persecution that arose, and that was one of the reasons why believers scattered. But now it's, uh, it's easier for us to do that. And I've told you about, I, even this morning, I've told you about my family. Uh, Christy, when she was home, my daughter, some of you know Christy because she's been here a year ago and uh, uh, spent, spent a year in town and so on. She's a missionary in Berlin, Germany. And um, my daughter has done that uh, Ancestry.com for my family. In fact, that was my Christmas present. I Forgive me, and I know I'm being taped, but I got to spit in a bottle and send it in. That was my Christmas present. And so I got the genealogy report of Mel Walker back, and I think, I think everything that I learned, I already knew. Walker, my family's English, you know, we've lived here a long time, all of that kind of stuff. But my family, um, my family has been in northeastern Pennsylvania. My family, my direct descendants, my mom's side and my dad's side, have been in northeastern Pennsylvania, get this, since the 1700s. My family has been here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, we're, I'm from a long line of people that never went anywhere. I'm, that, that's, my, that's, my fa- that's my family. Uh, my dad grew up in Montrose, Pennsylvania. My grandpa grew up in Montrose, Pennsylvania. I grew up in Montrose, Pennsylvania. We would go on vacations in northeastern Pennsylvania. I mean, if it was a rare year, we went to the Finger Lakes, and that's, that's like, what, an hour, an hour away from us. That was like a big trip. I went to college in northeastern Pennsylvania. And I'm telling you that because I think, I'm not sure if your background's exactly like mine or whatever, but I think it is typical, and that is our world becomes very small, very provincial, unless we're intentional about that. Um, the past several years, in fact, in a couple weeks, I'm going to go with uh, Vision for Youth, an organization that I helped start. We do youth missions trips in the summer. 
And I'm going to go in a couple weeks on a missions trip in downtown Chicago. And, uh, and we, we often have done missions trips in downtown Philadelphia and in downtown New York City as well. And there's something very interesting, even if you live in some of the biggest cities of the world. I mean, the people where we're going in Chicago, their neighborhood is their world. I mean, there are people, and now the neighborhood that we're going in in Chicago um, is a gang-driven neighborhood. In fact, pray for me, if you were a gang member, who would you shoot? The big, slow white guy, right? I mean, that's that, you know, so I'm, I'm probably that, that guy. But they, they never leave their neighborhood. And so I, I wonder about that, coming back to Acts 1-8, and I wonder about that, and that is, is it true that our world becomes very small, even if we live in some of the biggest cities? And Jerusalem was this thriving metropolitan area, and Christ said, be intentional about discipleship. This is big. And this is what God left, left the church to do. And I think as a church, Wyoming Valley Church, I think God wants us to understand that being a part of his work is what God's doing, and it is big, and it matters for eternity, discipleship. Number two, we've talked about this a lot. The second priority on my chart is service. You look at the scriptures, and it was obvious that the church met to serve. And I have shared with you some of these passages before. In fact, we'll get there in a minute. In your notes, on the right-hand side of your notes, there is a chart which also, folks, is not exhaustive. But I listed some of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the Bible that are there because I think it's important for us to understand that in God's church, He wants His followers to serve. Folks, that does not mean, as I mentioned before, that there has to be a program, that there has to be a title, that there has to be an organized thing. I think God wants us to serve, and that is this. Use your gifts. However God wired you, if you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, it, whatever it is, God has given you the opportunity to, uh, to serve and the responsibility to serve. Look through that list sometime. But even better than that, read Romans 12, read 1 Corinthians 12, and read the list of the gifts and, real, and, and look for where you fit in there. Whatever it is you're wired to do, whatever it is you're good at, chances are God has a, God has a place for you and it doesn't require a program. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The Romans 12, having gifts, let us use them. Ephesians 4, every part, every person does their share. That's what God has for his church. And uh, I love that idea. No matter what your background is, no matter what your strengths are, no matter what your talents are or even weaknesses are, God has a place for you in his church. And I think the beauty of that is it doesn't have to be organized. Whatever it is you're good at, do it. And God will be glorified and God will bless. That's the idea of gifts, of service in the word of God. The key thing like my illustration of the puzzle a couple weeks ago, is that that requires all of us, that we're all involved in this, and this is what God has for his church. Three, preaching. Over the years, somehow, preaching, what I am doing up here this morning, maybe has got a bad rap. There are people that have written books and talked about how, you know, preaching, people don't remember, preaching can be boring or whatever, but you realize that in the New Testament, all the way from Christ 
ministry himself all the way through. God has used preaching. In fact, in, in, in God's word, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, or yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers that by, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1.21, the foolishness of preaching that there are those who believe. In Romans 16, he talks about how preaching leads to spiritual maturity. I, I think here's the thing about preaching. And I, and I thought, honestly, folks, I mean, we're, we're friends here today, right? It's okay to be honest. Is that okay? Is that, is that, what, what a novel idea. I thought about, okay, I put the notes together, and I sent them to Todd, Pastor Todd, my son. And he looks at the chart. Okay, there's 12 things in the chart, and then there's five more things. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. My outline this morning has 17 things. And I'm thinking, Mel, are you nuts? No one will remember 17 things. And I get that, so I made a chart. I'm using PowerPoint. I'm helping you apply that. But, folks, please, 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 please hear me. The purpose of preaching is not so the audience remembers. The, purchase, the purpose of preaching is not even to necessarily proclaim, although that's the word that God uses. The purpose of preaching in the word of God was that God used preaching to change people's lives. That's the thing. Because it's supernatural. How God uses his word, how God uses his word to touch your heart, how God uses his word to, to, to in the very f fabric of your being, to, to touch your heart, to realize that I need to make a decision or that I need to change or that I need to confess or whatever it is. And all the way through the scriptures, that's the purpose of the scriptures, is that God uses his word. And, and I love that in Hebrews 4, that little uh, you know, balloon thing that they showed up. For the word of God is living and powerful. God uses his word to change people's lives. So that we don't just go through the motion of life. Like I said, that God uses his word to convict us of sin and to challenge and to change our hearts. And from the earliest stages, that's what the priority was of preaching. The, number, the next one, number four, is the idea of mentoring. This is something that God has put a growing burden on my heart. And if any of these doesn't require a program, it's this one, mentoring. And, and I know you know this, but if you were to look at passages like Titus 2, where older, mature believers were instructed. In fact, let me give you Mel's paraphrase of, of Titus 2 for a minute. And, and Mel's paraphrase to Titus is, is that Titus was serving, the, was serving as the pastor in, in, on the island of Crete. And Paul said to Titus, Mel's paraphrase from Titus 2, you're going to have to teach this. And then he says, older women are to exhort and, young, and older men are to, to encourage younger people and so on. In other words, back then, back then, first century, there was already a generation gap. Maybe, maybe that's true because Paul told Titus, you're going to have to teach this. This is going to have to be a priority. And that brings us to, you know, down to, again, centuries later. That's still what God intended for his church to be, intergenerational. And folks, honestly, one of the things that has happened in life, 
one of the things that's happened in culture, education, and all of those things is that we have learned what's good is to divide people by age groups, right? So we put young people in a room, and we put old people in a room, and so, and I think the church is designed to be intergenerational. And here's one of those things, as I mentioned before, that I think is is a beauty of the church, and that is it doesn't require a program to mentor. If you are living for God, if you are growing in your maturity, then you could be a mentor. And if you're at a place where you're younger and need somebody, and, and so here's the thing, either find a mentor or be a mentor. Now, I mentioned before, God has put a growing burden on my heart for this idea of mentoring and something that I believe in with, with all my heart based upon Titus 2 and 1 Thessalonians 2 and other places. So I, I want to give you a little chart today. This is something that I put, I, I wrote a little book on mentoring and it's available. We are going to do, sometime we'll do it here, a little mentoring uh, emphasis, uh, uh, like a seminar here and so on. But, but here I just want you to take one of these and you can put it in your Bible or pass it along or whatever. This is just some mentoring ideas. And, and here's, how this, here's how this chart works. And I, and I gave it a chart because of this. Because I want us to understand that, that ministry, folks, I've said this probably three times already today. Ministry does not require a program. Whatever it is that God has wired you to do, do that. And so here's the thing. That is a common um, excuse in the church today is I don't have time. And I get that. I really, really do. So I, when I put this chart together, and I have on the bottom some of the places where I got the, that got the material from, but I started at the top, well, what if you don't have any extra time? And then there are some ideas. And I think the idea of mentoring is this, is do what you do. Do what you already do. Just do it with somebody younger. It's not necessarily a commitment of extra time. Like you go to church. Mentoring can be the ideal place. You go er do errands. Do it with somebody else so that God can use what you already do to mentor. If you study Titus 2, where older women and older men are encouraged, are told to exhort younger people, look at the areas that it works. They're practical, life-oriented things. And I love that, that that's, the, that's what the church was designed to do, to be involved in those life-oriented things, that life on life. And the scripture talks about that a little bit, and I hope that that chart is a help to you. Teaching. Teaching. I'm going to go through this one quickly, not because it's not a priority, but because it is, but we've already talked about that a little bit with the idea of preaching. Teaching here is that God uses His Word to bring us closer in our process in our journey of becoming more and more like christ in fact i love where james 1 says be doers of the word and not hearers only i think god never even though i already talked with you about preaching and about the importance of preaching that god uses his word to change people's lives is that god never intended his word to be a lecture only if you read passages like 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that word, the Word of God is profitable, but it's also life applicable. 
And it deals with different areas of our life. And God wants us to implement what, what we've learned and to put that in practice. And I'm praying, Todd and I basically both are, that God will do that, this series on the church, that we'll be able to implement some of these things in our church as well. Number six, community. I know you know this, and this is where we started today. And that is that little quote that I put, is that God intended His church to be a community. It's really, really important for us to understand that God never intended um, His believers to be lone rangers and do this on our own. God intended the spiritual life to happen in community. Wednesday night, we were here for family night, and we talked a little bit about that Wednesday night, and that is all the way back. If you go all the way back to Abraham, the Jewish nation, that the whole design of family, the whole design of community was to help each other and to encourage each other. And there was, we'll talk about this more in just a second, there was a accountability and all those things of being a part of a community. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but one of the things I love about the church is that there's a place in the church for hurting broken people. I love that. And you, there's, there's tons of examples. The woman at the well. The Apostle Paul himself, he called himself the chief of all sinners. Peter, who was a failure and came, came back strong. John Mark. I, I love all of those accounts of people that have baggage in their life. And there's also a place in the church for church kids that's preventative. For those of us that grew up in good families, then church is a place where all of those people are welcome and a part of the community and God intended to do to, to that that church can be that way. And if God has brought you through some things that there's some baggage in your life, then God can use that and help you minister to other people. That's what his word teaches. And I think that's a that's a great thing about his church there too, is the idea of community. Next one is the idea of evangelism. We talked a about that a little bit already under the idea of discipleship. But evangelism, evangelism, to go with the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and I think it's important for us to understand, and you can read this, you shall be witnesses, and so on. And, and I, I think you can understand because God, folks, God can do a whole lot better at convicting our hearts than, than I can even going through this, is, is evangelism. The, having a burden for people who do not know Christ is, is a big deal in Scripture. I think uh, my generation grew up with evangelism looks like uh, have big meetings and have somebody preach, and I think maybe God can use that. But I think today evangelism is more relational. It's me building relations with my uh, with my neighbors and, and having building relationships and helping them see Jesus Christ in my life and, and those kinds of things. And I, I think here's the point of evangelism in the scripture is that God will give you opportunities to share the gospel that he never gives me. It's amazing how that works. Most of you know Peggy. She, is, she says hello, by the way. She is in Iowa. Last week she went out into Chicago to visit her sister who was going through chemo and now radiation for breast cancer. And uh, while she was gone, our son called 
mom. And our daughter-in-law, Casey, got selected for a jury duty. She got picked for jury. And the judge told her, uh, you should plan on a month. I think you get $9 a day for being jury. So she's going to get rich for $9 a day. But so Peggy, uh, I think she was looking for an excuse. Listen, I can hang out with Mel or I can go hang out with grandkids. Guess who won? Peggy's gone. And anyway, um, yeah, Pe Peggy is one of the most gifted evangelists that I know. I ha we've been married 43 years. I have been with her in the grocery line, in, in the line at the grocery store. I have been with her in restaurants. I have been with her downtown. I have been with her, I am not exaggerating, in toll booths where Peggy has taken a conversation and turned it into the gospel. She's very, very, very good at it. You know, I'm, I'm there, and I'm not shy about those things, but it's almost like I have to think about it and make an appointment to do that, not, not Peggy. My point about that is that God uses all of us, that whatever your gifts, whatever your abilities, God can use us, whatever your background. And I think evangelism in Scripture is points that out, that again, it doesn't necessarily require a church program. It's doing life with neighbors or that God brings people into your life because of your background that he would never bring into my life. And that's opportunity for evangelism. Caring. One of the things that the early church did really, really well is to emphasize care. Bear one another's burdens. Philippians 2, look out for the, <clears throat> for the interest of others. And that was a priority of the, of the early church, is caring. Um, today, I, I forgot to mention this before, but we had our communion today. And one of the ways that our church does that is we take up a benevolent fund. And if God puts a burden on your heart, you can give to that using the Venmo app or the box in the foyer. And that gives us the opportunity to tangibly do something for people, most often of people from our church that just have needs. That was a big deal in the early church, to care for people. And there, the church did that, and that was something that was important to the church. I think as centuries have gone by, that's maybe less of importance, and maybe, maybe that's to our shame. Next is the idea of worship. The church met for worship. There are two key passages I want to highlight. Look under the yellow box there. Ephesians 5.19, I've highlighted that. Speaking where music and worship was a big deal. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then Colossians where it actually uses the idea of teaching one another through music. There's a couple of things. First of all, I want you to understand. I'm not a musician. I, I can't even play the radio. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, I, I'm that guy that if I sing in church, if I'm just back there in the, in the, in the, in the pew or in the chair and sing, people turn around and look at me. Like, what's that? I've, I'm not kidding. I've had people move away from me. People who can sing and who know what it means to hit the right note, who know what that means, because sitting next to me is a disaster for them. I mean, I'm, I'm the worst, but... The Bible talks a lot about music. And you realize here that in these verses, speaking to one another, teaching one another, there was a sense where music and worship 
was a very public thing. <laughs> I think it's also important to note that even in scriptures, the style of music had uh, some creativity to it. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. <clears throat> you know, we, we've lived through the great music debates, right, in church sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you a Germany story. A few years ago, we were visiting Christy. Peggy and I were visiting Christy. And we went to the town. I'm forgetting right now the name of it. <coughs> but it was in Germany where they invented or one of the early printing presses was invented. Printing presses in Germany. And one of the first things that they did was they actually, this company that invented the printing, one of the first things that they did was print a hymnal for the church. And actually, it was uh, incredibly controversial. It was considered worldly to have a hymnal. Because up until that time, the music in the church was like the old-fashioned psaltery, I think that's the right word, in the Psalms. Remember there's some songs that are like in the Psalms that are songs of ascent, which means they sang the song as they traveled. And music in Scripture was passed down one generation to the next generation or public settings. Remember that community and so on. And so all of a sudden, somebody had a great idea. I'm going to publish music. And it was actually considered uh, controversial. And in our day, doing away with hymnals has become controversial or whatever and using other technology. My point is, is that God, God in all of time, God has given us uh, some emphasis in his word about music and about music being a priority and whether I'm all by myself in a car and no one's around. I love the fact that God's word can say, God's word does say, make a joyful noise. I think he had me in mind for that. And that is, uh, it, as long as it honors God and ministers to other people, then I think to realize that, that God is using those worship and God is using those different kinds of songs. Because here's the thing. Look at the last phrase of that balloon that I put there. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. One of the things that's true about this whole series on the church, which we said the very first day, and we'll say this throughout all of it, and that is, the church is not about me. And whether or not my opinions rule the day, the church needs to be about the Lord, about, about Jesus Christ, and serving Him. And I think that's the emphasis of these, these 12 things. Giving is something that was also a priority. And it's, it's something that we don't like to talk about, and maybe I, I get it that it gets personal, but in the Bible, God talks a lot about giving. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about giving. You know that one of his biggest commendations, his biggest attaboy slap on the back in, in, to churches were people that gave money for God's people. One of Paul's biggest con condemnations was when people didn't give financially for God's work. And so giving was a part of the church. And we don't like talking about that. And we like, you know, it's like, well, there's way too much emphasis. Maybe, maybe not enough because the Bible does talk about that. And that passage in Philippians, I don't know if you can highlight that, Philippians 4, 
was how that church ministered by giving and giving to Paul's ministry. And I mm -hmm. love that. One of the things that was also a priority of how they did church is that God built authority into the church, pastoral authority. You look in the, in the New Testament and there are words like shepherd and elder and overseers to describe the pastors. But there's also places in the church where God gave the church decision-making authority. And there were church-wide decisions as well. And that was priority in the local church. And then accountability is the last one in my chart. And then I'll, I'll give you the five quick principles and we'll be done. I, I think one of the things that's true in, in the church is that if we're a part of a community, we're a part of a public community, then that presents, which I think, folks, is a very good thing. It presents a level of accountability, which means that we have a higher level of responsibility. Today, for some reason, I've told you some Walker family background stories. We, uh, remember I told you about we would, from time to time, I think maybe three times in my growing up years, we went to the Finger Lakes in New York to a state park with my dad's brother and my cousins. Okay, his, my dad's brother had three boys. My dad had three boys. We all ended up way over six feet tall, all, all the cousins. We would go on vacations, and I think, I think all three years we did this, and that is the boys would get together. Back then, we'd call each other on the phone or whatever, and, and we actually would go to this place in that town where we went, and we'd all buy T-shirts that had... Um, our name on the back, Walker. And, and we would go to this basketball court at this park. There's six of us. The smallest one was probably like, my, my cousin Paul, was probably like 6'1". And we'd go to this basketball, and we all had these shirts. One year they were red and white. One year they was gray. With all, we were all walkers, and we'd, we'd play basketball against any takers. Like, we got this, you know, walkers. But I remember when we did that, that the last thing my Uncle Ed would say and my dad would say, and I think they figured out this is a good opportunity for us to make this point, my dad would say, don't forget whose name is on the back of your shirt, Walker. In other words, what my dad wanted us to understand is that there's a level of responsibility for being a Walker. If you're going to go there, be all cocky, get shirts, the cousins and say, we're going to play everybody basketball, and we're all going to be walkers and all of that. Make sure you keep your testimony. Make sure you keep your reputation and so on. There is a level of accountability to be a part of Christ church, to be a part of this church, to realize that we're a part of it. And I think the important thing is it's bigger than just me by itself. We're a part of God's family, and I think there's a level of accountability. And First Peter, we, we studied that together. Submit yourself to the elders and be submissive. Now that, that word gets, you know, that word gets, we, we, get our, we get our riles up at that. Be submissive to each other. And I think that idea of accountability is something that the early church meant to do. Now here's the point. I said this two weeks ago, and I'm going to do the last, the last things just really quick because you have them all down. But I think here, here's the point of all of those 12 things. And that is the purpose of the church. How did they do church? That everything was for one 
everything was for one grand purpose, that we should no longer be children, but grow up into all things who is ahead, even Christ. That everything that we do is to help people grow, come to Christ, and grow in their relationship to Jesus Christ. Everything that we do. Well, five quick principles, and I'm done. I've said this over and over again. The church was and is God's plan for helping people grow in maturity in Christ. Look at that passage that I read this morning. All, all the way through that, maturity in Christ was a big deal. There are several other passages in Scripture that point that out as well. That everything that we do, that all of us, all of us have a responsibility to help each other grow in Christ. That's what we're all about. And that everything that we do. Number two, the church was a top priority in the lives of believers. If you read through Acts and you read through the epistles, you realize church was really, really, really important to them. Let's get convicting for a little bit, okay? I'm smiling for the tape. Uh, tape for the digital recording, right? There was a survey that came out last summer from Barna Research that does a lot of church-based surveys. And uh, this company said that the average person in America, and I know it's an it's a old and it's probably a dumb cliche. I'm speaking to the choir because you folks are here today. But this survey said that the average person in the United States today who says, I attend church regularly, Barnes says that what they mean is they go to church once a month. Okay, this is the convicting part. I think you look around and I think everything else has become so important today and I think that we need to take a look inside and to realize, okay, how, and I'm not that, I'm not, folks, I'm not. I'm not that legalistic that, that being, you know, living for God equals going to church every single time. That, 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 that's not it. But I think we need to think through our priorities and the things that are important to us and look at where the scriptures land on that and look at uh, our, our culture today and what are those things that come before God and come before his church. Peggy and I, honestly, I know this is, really, really personal, but we talked about that a lot when our kids were little growing up, is that are, are they going to be a part of ministry? Are they going to be a part of what, what, what we do, of what I do, and so on? And, and that was, that was a, something that we had to work through. Up until the last two years when I came and joined your staff here, I mean, I've been a, I've been a layman for years and years. I haven't, been a, I haven't been a pastor since the 80s. And so that was important even in our lives, is how important is God's work going to be? You know me, right? You know me. But it's the grace of God. It is a God thing. But Peggy and I are so thankful that all three of our kids are serving God and are making God's work a big priority in their lives. And that seems like that's the way God intended it to be. Number three. The church was much more than a weekly meeting. I gave you my chart. And then I also gave you a chart there that has spiritual gifts. God wants his church to be, God wants his people to be active. It's much more than a lecture. It's much more than just show up one Sunday morning. I got my church thing done. 
and then I can go about do what I want. I think that realize that God wants his people to serve. God wants his people. The church was bigger than that, than just showing up on Sunday for one meeting and saying, okay, that we're done. Number four, the church, I, I emphasized that before. The church was a community where true worship and true, where true fellowship and unity happened. We have a great illustration this morning of communion of something in common and that's an illustration of that that we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and that's a big deal to his church and there's several passages there that you can just jot down the references where, where being a part of a community was a big deal the church that was in and so on all the way through the scriptures and that was a priority a community God I, I am so thankful that God didn't intend the Christian life to be done in a vacuum or to be done on an island somewhere You heard that dumb joke, right? I'm not a joke teller, forgive me, because I, I'm going to say this now in case no one laughs, in case no one laughs, but here it is. Did you hear about the story about the guy that was stranded on this remote desert island, and he was finally, finally he was saved, he finally was rescued, and the group that came to rescue him noticed that on the island there's three huts, and so the guy said to him, what, how come, you've been here all by yourself, how come there's three huts? He said, oh, that one's my house. Okay, he says, what's the next one? He says, oh, that's my church. He's there all by himself. So finally the guy said, well, what's the other church? What's the other building? And he said, well, that's where I used to go to church. And I kind of messed up the joke. But I, I, think, I think that's it. We're part of something. God didn't have us to be alone on this desert island, that we're part of something. And that means a couple things, I think. Number one, it, there's a responsibility that we have to help other people grow spiritually. And, and that we're not just going to come and soak it in, but that we have a responsibility being a part of God's church is to help others. But also there's a part of it is that being involved in a church is that there's an incredible resource of people who can minister to you at the church. That's an incredible two-way street. There's people who have gone through some things. There's people that have had other struggles in their life. There's people that can help you. And I think that that goes back to that mentoring thing, which is why I handed out the thing. There's other people that can, that can, that, that can go through, that, that can help you because they've gone through some of the things that you have. And the Bible talks about that a lot. And I think that community, that unity is more important than we make it today. And then number five, and this is I also where I started today. The church met the spiritual and cultural needs of the community and culture in which it was located. So I just put a map up there. One of the things that I love about the New Testament is the scope of the church. The church started in Jerusalem and spread to Antioch and then other places. And by the time that Paul's missionary journeys were done, he ended up in Rome. I mean, and along the way, there was Corinth and, you know, other places. And you realize that the, uh, the cultural differences of all of those cities there and some of the apostles before they were martyred then ended up in a lot of other places, Northern Europe and Asia and other places. And you realize that, that God is doing big things. And that brings us back to Wyoming Valley Church and Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Plains Township, Pennsylvania, is that God's doing some things here. And to realize that we're a part of what God is doing. 
and that we're a part of what God's doing and that makes us do that makes us realize that all that we're doing is to help each other grow spiritually but all that we do is because Lord Jesus Christ has to be our focus amen let me pray father I thank you for your word we went through a lot of stuff today but I think it's important for us to understand that your church is what you are doing in the world today your word emphasizes your church father I thank you for our church all along in this study we've been talking about your church his church but also our church which makes it very personal, which makes it important for my life and our lives as well. And God, I pray that you would use your word, not Mel's talk, not Pastor Todd's talk, but that you would use your word to challenge our hearts, challenge our thinking, change our lives. And God, convict us of what, how you want us to live for today. And God, as, as a believer and as a church, God, I would just say that our prayer would be that we would be about your work doing it your way for your glory for eternity. Father, thank you for what you've taught us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, thank you for coming today. Lord bless you. And uh, yeah, see you soon. <laughs>